I'd encourage you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. We're going to continue the series on waiting upon the Lord. I think sometimes this idea of waiting upon the Lord and seeking God's will becomes a little bit too mysterious in the body of Christ. And what I want to do is, if I could give a different title, I would call it demystifying the Lord's will. Um, There's going to be reasons for this that you're going to discover over the next couple of weeks, but I, I really, truly am looking ahead to 2023, not just for myself, but for each of you, because I believe that God has something very special for each of you, because as a daughter or a son of God, then God has something very special for you. And I think over the next couple of weeks, we're, you're going to discover that. But before I go any further, I want to ask, does anybody not have one of these sheets that I passed out last week? If you don't have one, if you, if you didn't get one, could you raise your hand, Cole, if you could pass one out? Just keep your hands raised. If you did not get one last week. Now, if you got one last week, but you forgot it, you know, find it. And, uh, but I, just, I need those that did not get one to, to get one at this time. Well, the story is told about an elderly gentleman going ice fishing, and he he walked out to the center of the lake. It's nice and frozen. And by the way, uh, it was very cool. I'm interrupting my my story here to tell you a different story. (laughs) So it's a story within a story. But Kate and Zach and the family are all the way up there in like northern, was it northwestern New York. And, you know, it snowed yesterday, it snowed again today, and they're up there for like a month. I mean, I'm jealous. I, I miss Delaware because at least it snowed a few times a y- during the wintertime, right? Uh, but here in Florida, man, how many of you ever remember it snowing? Has it ever snowed in Central Florida? Like, ever? Has it really? Okay, before 1994 when we moved here, all right. Okay, but anyway, I digress. I, I'm jealous. I, I would love to see that. No, but anyway, they're out on a lake, right? And, and the center of the lake is not frozen, but the, the borders are, you know, the, the periphery is. So it's, it's interesting, encouraging the kids, hey, don't try to walk on the water, right? So anyway, so this older man, he goes out into the very center because it's frozen, you know, real frozen. And he digs a hole in the ice, and he's going ice fishing. And he sits down on his, his stool, and he casts a line in. Five minutes go by, no bites. Another five minutes, another five minutes, an hour goes by, and still no bites at all. A young boy walks out, maybe 20 yards from him, plops his chair down, cuts a hole in the ice, throws his line in, and after five minutes, no bites. After 10 minutes, still no bites. And the older man's thinking, you know, I should probably just go over there and tell him, yeah, the fish aren't biting. After 15 minutes, the boy gets a bite, and he pulls in a fish. Baits the hook, throws it back in, gets another fish. Within five minutes, he catches ten fish. And the, and the older man is just saying, something is what on earth? And he goes over to the young boy and he says, young boy, I've been here for a whole hour. I haven't even gotten a bite. And you've caught ten fish within 20 minutes. What is your secret? And the boy looks up at him and he says, mm-hmm. And the guy looks at him and says, son, son, well, I'm sorry, say that again. He says, mm-hmm. And the guy says, son, you're mumbling. I can't hear you when you're mumbling. And the boy says, mm you got to keep the worms warm. Yeah, 
Usually, it's not how long you wait that matters, but how you wait. How you wait. Now, I've asked Diego if I could share this story. He said, yes, he, I could. So in the last month or so, Diego had been contemplating the possibility of a job transition. Another company, well-known company, I'm not going to mention the name, but very well, all of you would recognize it. Very large, stable, uh, more income, a lot of uh, positives about it, but he really sought the Lord. As, and he was dialoguing with them, asking them hard questions to get good answers. Um, and he began to wait. He talked with his wife, of course. He talked with me as his pastor and as his father-in-law and Meredith and others that he was you know, seeking counsel. And he's just really seeking the Lord. And the Lord led him to an answer. I'm going to talk about that answer at the end of the message. Another time, this was years and years ago, Meredith and I were seeking the Lord's will as well. We were waiting upon the Lord. That's the name of this series, Waiting Upon the Lord. We were waiting upon the Lord. We were asking him, God, do you want us, do you want me to accept this uh, part-time position as a pastor at the church we've been at for a couple of years. We've been waiting for at least a year, and now the very next month, the door was going to be opening, and we were just, when this offer is made, because we were waiting on the finances, and the finances were now there, do you want me to accept it or not? Because there was something odd that was beginning to stir in Meredith and I, whether or not God would even have us remain in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where I got my degree and was now a part of this church and a door of opportunity was about to open up. And I'm going to tell you the result of that at the end of the message as well. But we, we waited upon the Lord. And can I just say that there are times in your life when waiting upon the Lord is hard. But I want to ask a different question to begin this. And that is very simply, what does it mean? What does it even mean to wait upon the Lord? And for some of us, this is going to be a bit new. Because for you, waiting upon the Lord is like you waiting in the DMV line. It takes forever, right? Or waiting in a dentist's office. It's painful. You hate it. You hate waiting on the Lord because you got to do it. You got to wait. Now, you there with me then in Psalm 27. I'm going to skip right to the end where he uses this phrase to wait for the Lord. And it says this in verse 13 and 14. I'm going to read from the NIV. It says, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. What does it mean, then, to wait for the Lord? Does it mean to stop what you're doing and wait? In this context, what is it that David is actually waiting for? Is he waiting for an answer from the Lord? Now, some of you, if you look on this sheet that most of you filled out last week, or at least as much as you could, because that number three, two to three things I can do this coming year to wait upon the Lord, you're still, we're still asking that question, what does it even mean to wait upon the Lord? But what are you waiting for? What things are you wanting to accomplish? As you're just asking God, what do you want me to do this coming year? Okay? What is it that you're waiting for? So for some of you, you're waiting for an answer. 
You're waiting to know what direction to go. For the rest of us, as we look at this, what is it that David is waiting for? Is he waiting for an answer? No, actually, he's waiting for God to reveal his goodness. And that's this type of waiting that he's talking about. And for many of us, as we look at number two here, it says, in addition to the above, that I am praying. What is it that I'm praying for this coming year? Two to three things that you're praying for. And that's where you're waiting that we see in Psalm 27. That's when the waiting, that's, that's what the waiting is about. It's, it's not so much waiting for an answer or waiting for God to give you direction because you just have no clue. It is waiting for God to demonstrate his goodness in your life to give breakthrough, an open door of opportunity, something other than the pain that you're experiencing now, the difficulty, the struggle, the closed doors. And you're saying, God, make a way. Let me see your goodness. So how did David wait upon the Lord? Well, let me just tell you at the very beginning, he didn't sit there twiddling his thumbs, waiting like he was in a DMV line or he was in the dentist's office reading highlights. Have you guys ever read highlights? Okay, all right, I'm not too far out. Okay, right, good. No, you know, my dentist doesn't even have highlights. I just realized this. I mean, come on. Is he a real dentist? I'm wondering anyway. Anyway, I, I've had my doctor for over 20 years. He's a great doctor. He just doesn't have highlights. So what does David do? It says, right, look at verse 3. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. So if he's seeking the Lord, if he's waiting upon the Lord, what is he waiting for? Is he just waiting and doing nothing while the army attacks? Of course he is not. We're actually going to look at a, a situation in which David did this. And he was, uh, he was up against the Philistines. What did he do then? But I can assure you that he didn't just wait there. If you're waiting for a promotion, what does that look like? If you're waiting upon the Lord for a promotion, what would that look like? Would it look like this? Sitting at your dead, excuse me, <laughs> sitting at your desk doing nothing. Well, if you do that, trust me, your boss will not do nothing. He will fire you. Waiting upon the Lord and seeking him does not necessarily, actually the default waiting upon the Lord is very active and very aggressive. And only when the Lord tells us, wait and don't do anything, do we do that. Generally, the default waiting upon the Lord and what that would look like is moving forward. It is planning for battle because the enemy is coming and I'm not just going to sit around doing nothing, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to pray. There's a number of things that we can do to wait upon the Lord. I'm not preaching on that this Sunday. There's a number of things that I can do that you can do this month as we're praying and waiting upon the Lord for 2023. Things that we can do to wait upon the Lord. And there are certain things that God will do in response to my waiting. I think too often our problem is that we expect God to speak in a very certain way. And there's a reason for that I'll get to in, in, in a little bit in the message. But what David is doing here is very accurate. 
He's not just sitting around waiting for the army to come against him and praying and doing nothing. He is very active. If you look at verse 5, it says here, For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his, in his dwelling. Let's be careful here that God's dwelling that he talked about in the previous verses where it says here, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. It is not God's literal, physical temple. Now we know this because David wrote this psalm and there was no temple. Solomon built the temple, not David. While While David is waiting upon the Lord, seeking God in his temple, that's when God rescues him. Does God, or excuse me, is David, when he's in this trouble, does he suddenly run to the sanctuary, to the tabernacle, and seek God? And there at the tabernacle, God rescues him. No. David's, uh, God's house of the Lord God's dwelling, God's sanctuary, God's tabernacle where David is waiting upon the Lord is on the battlefield. It's on the battlefield. That's where God's going to rescue him. So the idea of God's dwelling or his house is more a metaphor. And you know what, church? You don't have to come to this building any more than David did to seek the Lord and for God to deliver you. But David is in the midst of life itself. He doesn't take a time out, run to the tabernacle, seek God, and there God delivers him. It is in the course of life that he is pressing into God. And we know he's pressing in because a few verses later, verse 6, excuse me, verse 8, he says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Now the word face many times is used metaphorically and it simply means the presence. To come before the face of a king means to come into the presence of a king. So he's seeking God's presence. He's seeking being in God's presence, not so much at his tabernacle, but on the battlefield. Maybe in his tent as he's gearing up for battle. What, doing nothing? No. Very much preparing and making plans. Waiting for the Lord does not mean doing nothing or being passive. And again, for David, this waiting was waiting for God to show his faithfulness. You know, in Acts chapter 6, excuse me, 16, Paul, with his apostolic entourage, including Timothy and some others, he is making his way through what's commonly called in his day Asia Minor. He is heading west towards Ephesus, towards the interior of a province called Asia. Not Asia like Far East Asia, like China. We're talking about, in present-day Turkey, Asia was a province in that region. He's going to go to the heart of that, and, and the heart of that was Ephesus. But it says that the Spirit of God forbade him to preach there. Listen, let me say that again. God told Paul not to preach the gospel in Ephesus. 
preaching the gospel of God. That's like a really good thing. Nope, don't want you to do it, Paul. But this is my life, Lord. Nope, don't want you to do it. So what did Paul do? Did he camp outside of the province of Asia and just wait for God? Okay, Lord, do I turn left, right? Do I back up? Do I go home? What do you want me to do? He didn't just simply wait there doing nothing. You know what he did? He headed north. Okay, if this door is closed, then we're going to go this way. And so he starts heading towards Bithynia, up north, way north. And it said that, that Christ showed him, uh-uh, that's not where I want you to preach the gospel. So now he heads east to Troas, and that's where he receives a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And that was the will of the Lord. Did he just simply park himself and just say, I'm not doing anything until God shows me? I'm not saying that you should never do that. I know a man who waited 18 months before he stepped into the mission that God had him for. I'm not going to say that that was the Lord's will or not. I don't know enough about it. I wasn't in his shoes. But rarely will God tell you, just don't do anything for 18 months. His default way of waiting upon the Lord is very aggressive. It is coming up to a closed door and saying, okay, then Lord, I'm going to keep moving, but you're, you're going to lead me. Do you believe that you have the mind of Christ? Because in 1 Corinthians, the very last verse of chapter 2 says that as a believer with the spirit of God in you, you have the mind of Christ. Now, let's just think about it. If you have the mind of Christ, would that not mean that at some point you're going to think his thoughts? If you have the mind of Christ, you're going to think his thoughts. Now, maybe not all the time. Because you still have a sinful nature. You're, you're still fallible. You still miss God. God understands that. But do you not believe that as one foot goes in front of the other, that God can close doors? He did that for Paul. And as he then moves, that he will perhaps close another door? Do we get frustrated? Do we say, God, where are you? Well, Paul didn't. He kept moving. He's just in a different direction. Now he went east. Excuse me, west. He went west to Troas. And as he was seeking God yet again, waiting upon the Lord, that's when God showed him. And it wasn't in Troas. He still had to cross the strait that's there, across the Aegean Sea to get into um, to northern, well, Macedonia, but in northern Greece. There was a process. We're going to need to talk about that. Before we do, I want you now to turn over with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Here we find David again. 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel 6. We're going to start with verse 17. Please understand that David has just ascended the throne over all of Israel. Seven and a half years before that, Scripture says that he became king of Judea. Now, elders from Israel have come to him and said, Saul was our king. Now we want you as our king. And David made a covenant, covenant of salt, but a covenant with them on that day. And he became king over all of Israel. The first thing he did was he took Jebus, or Jerusalem, and he, he, he conquered the Jebusites and made that his 
capital, the capital of now the whole nor uh, northern and southern portions of, of Israel. And, it's, and, and shortly after this, then, the Philistines come up with a brilliant idea. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him, but David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now, the stronghold was probably the cave of Adullam. We don't know that for sure, but that is at times called the stronghold. So, if it wasn't the cave of Adullam, it was some other cave, but he was there and he was no doubt, not just fleeing for his life, that's not David, but strategizing. So there he is in the stronghold. Verse 18. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered him, go, for I will surely hand the Philistines over to you. So David went to Baal, Perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as water breaks, excuse me, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against the enemies before me. So that place was called Baal, Perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Verse 21 is another sermon. Good stuff there. I'm just going to tell you that, that, that David and his men didn't carry them off to worship those idols. But it tells us in 1 Chronicles they actually burned them. They got rid of them. Moving on, verse 22. Once more, the Philistines, as if they didn't want to give up, of course, came up and spread out in the valley of Rephraim. This is now the second time they have done this. So David inquired of the Lord. Can I just ask you, here's David, same situation, same place. David is now seeking the Lord. What do you think is going through David's mind? You know what? God is probably going to tell me exactly what he told me before. Now, there were a few different ways in which God would reveal his will to someone like a king. He could do it through a priest, specifically using the ephod and the breastplate. And on the chest would be the Urim and the Thummim. And there's a couple of guesses or speculations how they would work, either glowing or glowing. One would glow warm, meaning yes, and one would mean no. So if it glowed, it was no. This seems to be a little bit more specific so it probably came to David, maybe in a dream, or perhaps through a prophecy to a prophet. Sometimes they casted lots, but that was generally for something a little bit different in seeking God's will. So I'm going to guess here that it was probably a prophet that God spoke to him through. But again, he's inquiring of the Lord, and this is what happens. Do not. Go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the balsam trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, church, how strange is this? 
right? You're not going to do it the same way you did it before. Different plans. Now I want you to march around in front of the balsam trees and just wait there. Camp out, twiddle your thumbs. I don't, well, maybe God did care, but be really quiet and wait. Don't do anything and wait until you hear marching in the tops of the trees. Now, can I just tell you that trees don't march? If you didn't know that, trees, even balsam trees, they don't march. So this is obviously something that God is doing. It's supernatural, and it is God's clue to David when to march. Now, do you think God is just up there thinking, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wait and see if, does David really believe me? Does he trust me? And just pick any random time. Now, maybe he is testing David's heart. Is David going to really wait? But I'm going su- to suggest that God chose a perfect time, and that's why he said, don't go straight up. God needed to do something. God needed to set something in place. And it wasn't so much his men in place, because his men were in place. They were just waiting. He was doing something, no doubt, in the camp of the Philistines. Maybe he was stirring up questions. Maybe he was stirring up fear. Wait a second. Where did the Israelites go? We don't see them anymore. Where did they go? You were watching. Where did they? I don't know. They moved at night. We don't know when they moved. I'm just supposing. I don't know where they went. They're somewhere. Well, wait a second. Last time we were here, guys, they totally kicked our butts. What are we going to do? And fear is starting to get a hold of them. Maybe there's questioning of the higher ranks' decisions. And God is in the process of setting something up. Again, I'm speculating. I don't know what happened. But God had him wait and not do anything, not move. Don't go straight up until you hear marching in the tops of the trees, the balsam trees. What a completely different scenario. Now, David did that, and David waited, and apparently there was marching in the treetops, and that's David's cue. He marches in and, again, secures victory. And he says right here, he says, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. I'm not exactly sure in what way the Lord struck down the Philistine army. Does that mean that he did it through David, or did God do something before David even did anything? We don't know. There's examples like in the with Jehoshaphat in which God ambushed the 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 enemy. And Jehoshaphat, with the singers, walked into a field that was filled with dead enemies, dead people. God had already fought the battle. That's apparently not exactly what God did, but God did something. God fought for Israel even before they got there. God did something. God set the scene. Maybe the reason why God is wanting you to wait and just not do anything is because he's in the process right now putting things in motion, and then he's going to show you. All I'm saying is, generally, God doesn't have us wait and do nothing. There are times, though, in which he does. 
And so this is a process of us seeking God and knowing, God, what am I to do? For Paul, it wasn't just camping out and doing nothing. Actually, God had to tell David, don't do anything. And wait. Seriously, stop. Don't do anything. And wait. That type of waiting. Like a DMV line. And that's what God was doing. That's what God was saying. Two very different scenarios. But in this scenario, God made it clear what David was to do, and if he wasn't to do anything and just wait, like in a DMV line, he told him to. So do you see? It says in Proverbs 16, 9, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. So I'm going to just challenge you. As you are thinking through the year 2023, and you're asking questions like, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live my life? What types of decisions, maybe different than last year, do you want me to make? What's some of the direction that you want me to move into? Is there a job promotion on the horizon? And if so, how do I approach it? Maybe there's some of these questions that God is having you think through, and in this month, praying about, but there's nothing wrong with you planning, because you have the mind of Christ, minds think, minds are active, minds plan, as a matter of fact, he says, men plan, as if that's just a foregone conclusion, Paul, trying to discern the Lord's will, he planned, he strategized. When a door closed, he planned again. When that next door closed, he planned again. And then finally at Troas, God said, here we go. Open door. It was hard. It took time. Man is going to plan. That's what we should do. But the Lord will determine your steps. So here is my challenge to you. Are you willing to trust him to direct your feet? Because here's our problem. I'm gonna, here's two extremes that we tend to take. Problem number one, we want zero risk and zero failures. So we're afraid and want very clear direction. And this can paralyze us that ever happened to you? That you're waiting for the Lord. No, I'm not going to make it. I'm just going to wait for the Lord. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to, mm -mm, just going to wait. You know, I don't want to give birth to an Ishmael. You understand that metaphor? I give birth to an I want to give birth to an Israel, uh, or, or rather a um, Abraham Isaac. Sometimes I have to say Abraham Isaac and Jake, right? Okay, that's how it, he wanted to give birth to a Isaac and not an Ishmael because he took, Abraham took matters into his own hands and so I don't want to do that. And so as a result, we become afraid. What if I make a mistake? This is a big decision. What if I make a mistake? And that fear can paralyze you. I understand that there's a phone going off. Is there a way that we can silence that phone? Is there a way? And so if that is your case, 
don't swing over to the other side because the other side, it says, you know, we really want something like a new job or a promotion or a new house, a new car. And sometimes these are not God's desires and we pull the trigger too soon. Let me just tell you that our emotions and our desires can lead us down the wrong path. Our emotions and our desires are not necessarily from the Lord. Many times, like for example, with regard to emotion, have you ever said, said this? I really believe I'm heading in the right direction, listen now, because I have peace. Have you ever said that? Can I just ask you, where do you find that in the Bible? Where do you find that, hey, when you discover peace, you're in the middle of God's will. Can I just tell you that so many times in the middle of God's will is where it's so turbulent. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have peace, but what do you mean by peace? What we mean by peace generally is, I feel, I feel relaxed, there's no trouble, there is just this sense of peace, right? Hmm. Generally, the reason why you feel that peace, and I'm not suggesting this is every time by any means, but the reason why there's peace is because there's no conflict. And if there's no, see, in our spirit is the flesh and the spirit of God. Why is there no conflict? It's either because the flesh has been completely crucified or we have shut the Lord out. It could be either one, but there's no conflict. Can I just suggest something to you that many times when you're in the middle of, the, of God's will, you're not going to find this amazing peace. Does that shock you? Paul says there's trouble on every side. You, Paul, was that because you weren't in God's will? Absolutely not. If anything, it was because he was right in the middle of God's will. If you're in the middle of those who want to live godly in Christ Jesus is living godly a good thing? Is that the will of the Lord for you? Well, guess what? You're going to suffer persecution. What? What? What about my peace? I want my peace. Church, let's, let's just, let's get over this hyper, I don't know, whatever you, spirituality, whatever you want to call it. But because you stumble across peace does not necessarily mean you're in the center of God's will. Now, you know what, I'm probably stirring up more questions tonight than I'm answering. Let me just suggest this, that there is something that God is actually wanting to accomplish in all of this. And can you believe that God is so good, so good to you, loves you so much, that it is actually his desire for you to discover his will? And that as you are waiting upon the Lord aggressively, that he's actually going to lead you. And he's going to close doors and open, open others. You know what? For Paul seeking direction, it took only one open door. He didn't need a lot of open doors. He just needed one. Actually, God directed him by closing many doors to open one. Okay? So let's not get frustrated with God because he keeps closing these doors that you want him to open. Because probably he doesn't want you to walk through those doors. As we discover the will of the Lord for us, it is going to be difficult. And there's a reason for this. Proverbs 16.2, all a man's ways 
seem innocent to him. But motives are weighed by the Lord. This process of discerning God's will, of waiting upon the Lord, many times is to reveal what the motives are in our hearts. And that is what God is truly concerned about. He's concerned about where you end up. Don't get me wrong. He's concerned about whether you get that new job promotion or purchase that new home. He's concerned about that. But what he's even more concerned about is the process of how you get there. What's going on in your heart? God is concerned about what you want in your decisions, but he's concerned about the process. Number one, in this process, through obedience. Paul, David, they had to make choices. As David is waiting upon the Lord and, and inquiring of the Lord, as the Hebrew says, the Hebrew is not waiting upon the Lord, but I'm going to suggest that they're the same or very similar. He's inquiring of the Lord. David hears a very different word from God, and again, I'm suggesting more than likely probably a prophetic word, but a different word. And instead of going straight up, and yes, I'm giving them into your hands, he says, nope, don't go straight up. Wait, that is, don't do anything. Park yourself right there on the map and wait for me. And in that type of waiting, I'm sure it could have been frustrating for David. But David waited. David obeyed the Lord. And that was the most important thing. Was God concerned about him kicking some Philistine butt? I'm sure he was. There was a lot of different ways that God could have done it. But he had David do it this way because there was something God wanted to do in David's heart and maybe in the heart of everyone under him. David, wait a second. We're just supposed to wait right here? I, I get it that we have the cover of trees, but what if they do discover us? There are scouts. What if the scouts discover us? And we're just sitting ducks here. David, why would God tell you to do one thing, and then this time, why wouldn't he just tell us, David, are you really hearing from us? Should we really trust this prophetic word? Questions, questions, questions. And maybe God did this so his men in the very early stages of David's kingship would learn to trust him he truly was a man after god's own heart saul king saul was the people's choice king david was god's choice and god may well have said i want it this way so the your people know how to trust you as their leader you're hearing from me david and god did an amazing victory the process, obeying God. You probably remember this example of not obeying God. The man's name is Balaam. People came to him and said, hey, Balaam, you're supposed to be some prophet. Why don't you come with us? And there's a people who are really numerous. And if we're not careful, they're going to destroy our nation. They're going to take our land from us. We want you to curse them. Use God to hurl down a curse on them. Balaam said, nothing doing, can't do it. So the, 
so that word came back to the king. And the king sent more men, and he said, you know what? Let me make it more enticing for you, Balaam. We're going to pay you like this truckload of money if you come. Wow, really? That mu- Wait a second, that much money? You know what? Let me seek God about this again, because I'm sure there's a lot that we can do. Right, God? A lot that we can do with that money. I'm going to seek the Lord again. And guess what? God, in my terminology, was ticked. God was angry with Balaam because Balaam already knew the will of the Lord, but something was beginning to tick at his heart. Greed, desire for money. And God thoroughly judged Balaam for that. Now, there's a lot that needs to be revealed about Balaam and what he even believed. My purpose is not to get into that. But Balaam knew the will of the Lord. And yet he came back to God because now he wasn't quite so sure he wanted to obey God. And he was looking for another way. Mm. His heart was now filled, not with the desire to do God's will, but the desire for greed. You know, this process forces us to obedience, forces us to do God's, what, what God's revealed will is, and it forces us to press into the Lord. Maybe this month, and we're going to lay out various ways that you can press into the Lord, various ways you can discern the will of the Lord, and each one of those is going to cause you to go deeper and deeper with the Lord. That is what God is concerned about. God is not just concerned about the decision and the end result. He's concerned about your process in finding out how to get to that desired goal. And it may be a zigzag course like he took Paul on to Macedonia. But press into the Lord. You see, that's why many times seeking God's will is hard. You know, for Meredith and I, We set a day aside for fasting and praying. That's one of the ways we seek the Lord. We set that day aside. It was a Tuesday, I remember. And at the end of the day, we said, when we're we're done, we'll we'll, we'll sit down and compare notes. What is God speaking to you? There's so much I could tell you about this story, and I have told the story before, so I'm not going to do that again. But there was this process that God took us through, and he confirmed his will. Actually, he confirmed it a uh, a couple of months later when we were actually moving out because we were renting a house, and we spoke to the owner of the house, and what an amazing testimony, because that weekend, he and his wife were, were, he was wanting to start his business, they're moving out to, he was going to go out to California, got to get the business established, where's my family going to live, because they're living in a much bigger house than the one we're renting from him, and it would be cheaper for them to live in the house that we're in. My wife and I had decided we were going to move, and the day that I told him, He and his wife were sitting at the table having a discussion. How do we tell Mike and Meredith that they need to move? If God spoke directly from heaven in an audible voice, he probably would have said, don't worry about it, guys. I've already done it. It's four days ago. So God also closed a door. There was a job opportunity up in New York. God just closed that door. We're seeking him. Each way, God closed doors, opened another one, 
And it was a process, and it was a hard process, and it forced us to trust him. God was doing something in Meredith's in my heart, and I would say even in my kids' hearts. Diego, just the other day, as he is seeking the Lord, wonderful opportunity. He's, he's doing the various things and seeking God's will, and he surprised me just this past week. He, he, he said, he, he sat down with our family and because we were some of the ones that he had talked to. And he said, guys, I want you to know that I've made a final decision. And the decision is to turn down this job opportunity. And, and can I be honest with you? I was shocked. It sounded like a really sweet offer. But as he laid it out and he weighed certain things, and especially the fact that his wife is pregnant and going to be giving birth in a very short while, and just the transition, and then some of the things with regard to insurance, he just said, you know what? This looks like a good opportunity, but there's too many things that are saying no. And so here's what I told Diego. I said, Diego, before he even made the decision, I said, Diego, the Lord may not speak in an audible voice, and you may find some uncertainty but can you trust him to be so good? And, and church, this is what I have done. I'm leaning in this direction, Lord. And Diego was leaning in the direction of to say no. And I say, Lord, if I am not supposed to move in this direction, and I am seeking you with all of my heart, I'm weighing the motives in my heart, I'm seeking counsel, I'm listening to my wife, I'm weighing all of these things. God, if you don't want me to move in that direction, because he was going to tell the company no, I need you to do something to block that way. I need you to do something to open another door, to just make your will clear, because right now this is what I am doing. And can I just assure you that when your heart is humbled before the Lord, and in this process you're seeking obedience, you're pressing into him, you're growing closer to him, because that's the nature of faith. And this was a testing of his faith. This process that, that he was going through, and that you're going through, God loves that process. You may not right now because it's hard, but God loves this process and what's actually being accomplished in your life. And God will lead you. I can assure you of this. And I'm not suggesting that now because you've made this decision, everything, it's like all of life is going to suddenly fall into place. You know what? It might, might even be harder. I'm not suggesting that's what's going to happen. I'm not at all. But I've discovered, as I've made that decision, life actually got harder. I didn't have that peace that I've, actually there was more conflict or more turmoil. And it's like, what's going on? Well, maybe you just ticked off the devil. I don't know. But you know what? God is so good. He is so for you that he is going to be gracious with you. And you're going to sense some confirmation in this idea that, you know what, I'm moving in the Lord's will, and I don't understand what's going on over here, but I am stepping and moving in the center of God's will, and it is good. Can you believe that? Can you believe that that is actually the heart of the Father for you? Because I'm telling you right now it is. I've seen so much evidence throughout the scriptures and then in my own life. You may not discover this amazing whoo, peace, but you know what? It will be so good, so good. And that process, 
which is what impacts your heart for all of eternity, is something God cherishes. Can you just stand with me right now? Some of you, as you're looking for the year 2023, you completely understand what I'm talking about here and seeking God's will. And, and, and maybe you're, you're in the midst of something that is just so difficult. Can you trust that God is going to lead you? As we walk through the next couple of weeks as how you can do that, can you believe that God is actually going to show you his will? He may not speak with an audible voice from heaven. In fact, let me just assure you, he usually doesn't. He has, but he usually doesn't. Can your heart be submitted to him in that process of him leading? Father, I just pray for each of us here. Give us the patience. Give us the aggressiveness of pressing into you and moving forward that you need, that you want in our life. And I pray that in this process, because it's not just for January, we're going to be seeking you throughout the year, God. But as we lay these things before you, God, would you lead us? Would you graciously take us by the hand and lead us. Father, sometimes it is hard for us to hear. Sometimes it is hard for us to discern the motives of our heart. But you know them. Bring them to the surface. Lead us, God. And I just pray for every single person here that as they seek you, lead them, Lord God. Close doors and open the right ones. And Father, in all of this, draw them so close to your heart. They are, each of us are your precious children, Lord. Lead us by the hand. Love on us, Father. Gently lead us. And wherever we encounter the enemy, I'm asking you, Lord, give us faith. Give us faith to press into you more. Because God, we are waiting upon the Lord that you would display your goodness. 